Hello, everybody. You're listening to the When in Spain podcast. I'm Paul Burge, your host. A warm welcome. Thank you for joining me. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the American writer Ernest Hemingway. I'm sure you've all heard of Ernest Hemingway. And uh, while Ernest Hemingway is associated with a handful of places around the planet, most notably Paris, Pamplona here in Spain, Havana in Cuba, Key West in Florida, and Ketchum, Idaho, uh, his home and uh, the place where he sadly took his own life in July 1961. Now, we must add to that list Madrid, because Ernest Hemingway had a lifelong love affair with the Spanish capital, and many locations around Madrid inspired his writing, in particular, The Sun Also Rises, Death in the Afternoon, and For whom the bell tolls, which was inspired uh, by his experiences working as a reporter and journalist during the Civil War in Spain. And joining me in this episode to help trace Hemingway's footsteps around Madrid and wider Spain as well is Stephen Drake-Jones. Now, Stephen is a historian, lecturer and tour guide who has an encyclopedic knowledge of numerous periods of Spanish history, um, but is also an expert on Earth. Ernest Hemingway's Madrid and in fact he runs an Ernest Hemingway tour of Madrid among many other tours. He's also the chairman of the Wellington Society uh, which he set up and why? Well because uh, the Duke of Wellington uh, is his speciality um, especially the period covering the Duke of Wellington's campaigns on the Iberian Peninsula. We're not going to be talking about the Duke of Wellington in this episode we're going to be talking about Ernest Hemingway um, but a bit more about Stephen. Stephen moved to Spain in 1975 he taught English and he subsequently joined the Spanish Navy curiously. He didn't go to sea though. He joined the Spanish Navy in the capacity as a history lecturer and an English teacher and then he continued to lecture in history here in Madrid at numerous different universities. And I met up with Stephen in one of Ernest Hemingway's favourite Madrid hangouts and it's called La Cerveceria Alemana, the German beer house which is uh, on the leafy Plaza Santa Ana right in the centre of Madrid. I'm sure many of you who've been to Madrid know Plaza Santa Ana and you may have even been to the uh, Cerveceria Alemana and we pulled up a couple of chairs inside at the exact table in the bar's window where Ernest Hemingway often used to come and sit and drink and write and fraternise with the bullfighting community which used to hang out there less so nowadays but back in Hemingway's times the Cerveceria Alemana was a hub of the bullfighting community bullfighters, journalists who wrote about it anyone connected with bullfighting would spend time in the Cerveceria Alemana now you might not be a fan of bullfighting and nor am I, to be honest, but we're not going to be talking all about bullfighting in this episode. But it would be remiss not to say that Ernest Hemingway was a huge bullfighting fan. And it was actually in the Cerveceria Alemana where he gleaned a lot of information for his uh, book Death in the Afternoon, which is all about uh, bullfighting. Uh, it's a non-fiction work, really. You can almost look at it as a kind of guide to bullfighting. And it was in the Cerveceria Alemana 
Manor, where Ernest Hemingway wrote the appendix to Death in the Afternoon, because he used to pick the brains of the bullfighting fraternity there, um, looking for specific vocabulary that would help describe the very specific parts of a bullfight or la corrida. We're going to be talking about that and lots more about Hemingway's relationship to Madrid and the time that he spent here. But before we throw ourselves into the interview with Stephen Drake Jones, I will just run through a list of Ernest Hemingway's works which relate specifically to Madrid and to Spain. I've only read one of them, I hasten to admit. And the other thing I would like to quickly do before the interview is a special shout out that I always do to new When in Spain patrons. So a special shout out and muchas gracias to new When in Spain patron Jennifer Now, um, apologies for my pronunciation of your surname, Jennifer. And we had a quick chat on the When in Spain Instagram account, but I didn't ask you how to pronounce your name. B-L-A-J-E, I don't know, Blage or Blaja, Blage? I don't know. In Spanish, I guess we'd say Blaje, but I don't think that's a pronunciation. Anyway, Jennifer, thank you so much for signing up to become a When in Spain patron. Really appreciate it. And for anyone else who enjoys this podcast and would like to support it and support me and the work I do and putting it together and bringing it to you you can also become a patron too super easy you just head across to patreon.com forward slash when in spain it's a crowdfunding website called patreon and you can find when in spain on there at patreon.com forward slash when in spain and you hit the page and it's all very self-explanatory about how you go about supporting this podcast anyway enough of that so ernest hemingway or don ernesto actually as he was known affectionately by the spanish um, spent numerous stints in madrid in fact he was here for chunks of the late 1920s late 1930s and also parts of the 1950s um, before his last visit in 1960. Um, As many of you may well already know Hemingway produced most of his work between the mid-20s and the mid-50s and in fact he won the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction in 1953 and the Nobel Prize in Literature in 1954. Now I guess we could say that (laughs) Ernest Hemingway is a bit of a sort of controversial character. He's a bit of a like you either love him or loathe him. A bit of a love-hate relationship going on here from lots of people that I've spoke to about Hemingway. Some people say he was not really a very nice guy. Well, I don't know. Read his books, make up your own mind. One thing is for sure is that Hemingway was a person of personas, I suppose, and that you could perceive him as being a bit vain, a bit shallow, maybe entitled, or that he wrote about these uh, things in Spain from a kind of very privileged point of view. We see Hemingway as a bullfighter, we see him as a brooding cafe or bar dweller surrounded by wine bottles. We see him as a blooded war veteran, hard drinking, hard fighting, hard loving, all in the name of his art of writing. And I guess throughout his life, additional personas attach themselves to him. We see him as a rugged deep sea fisherman, big game hunter, post-war liberator, and uh, later in his life as a white bearded papa, as he was known in his native uh, US. And he relished all of these identities. And uh, I think so did his fans. And so did the press. 
Anyway, let's look at some of his works that relate specifically to Madrid and indeed Spain. Uh, in 1926, he writes The Sun Also Rises, which was translated in Spanish as Fiesta. And this is a novel about a group of expats living in Paris that decide to visit Pamplona during the festival of San Fermin, the uh, famous running of the bulls. And it's a loosely autobiographical account, which talks about how Hemingway came to enjoy the July festivities uh, in Pamplona during the 1920s while he was stationed in Paris. In 1932, he publishes Death in the Afternoon, which I was just talking about, a non-fiction book about the art, ceremony and traditions of Spanish bullfighting. And it also kind of delves deeper into the human nature and looking at fear and courage. That's the only uh, Hemingway book that I've read. I enjoyed it. It gave me a really interesting insight into bullfighting. And I'm not a fan of bullfighting. In 1938, he publishes, um, well, really his lesser known work called The Fifth Column. And this is a play which is set during the Spanish Civil War. And its main significance is that uh, uh, it was a work about the war published while the Spanish Civil War was still going on and the title helped popularise this term the fifth column and the fifth column was coined by one of Franco's generals Emilio Mola to refer to any clandestine group of people who work from the inside to help an outside force overthrow a besieged city and in this case uh, the besieged city is Madrid and with that uh, five other stories were also published about the Spanish Civil War one called The Denunciation, The Butterfly in the Tank, Night Before Battle, Under the Ridge, and Nobody Ever Dies. And uh, in those short stories, there are numerous references to uh, locations in Madrid. In 1940, Hemingway publishes what is probably his most famous piece of work on Spain called For Whom the Bell Tolls. This novel is set during the Spanish Civil War, loosely autobiographical, uh, talking about uh, the story of an American in the International Brigades. And there was also a film adaptation starring Gary Cooper and Ingrid Bergman. And then in 1960, he publishes The Dangerous Summer, a series of non-fiction articles about bullfighting and Pamplona written for Life magazine, uh, originally published in 1960, but it was republished as a book in 1985. So there's a bit of background to Ernest Hemingway. Let's get into the interview with Stephen Drake Jones, because he's the guy who really knows all about Ernest Hemingway. He came here in 1923, 25 and 26. The 20s when he came, he's working on The Sun Also Rises, not realising the new generation, the lost generation, not realising this is going to make him a lot of money. Then he came here uh, in 1937 as a war correspondent during the Spanish Civil War. And he sees what? The fascists of Europe, Nazi Germany, and fascist Italy, you know, the coming of bombing, and uh, that changed him politically, definitely. And after that, uh, he was persona non grata by Francisco Franco because of his writings for the pro republic. Yeah. And he was involved in a, a documentary called Spanish Earth. And that did not go down well <laughs> with Franco, the fascist and the nationalist. And so he was allowed back. He was given the nod in 1953. Well, you know, Pulwitz surprise. 
United States of America, they had a President Eisenhower, we had air bases, we had naval bases here. Millions of dollars have been pumped into Spain and you're not allowing the number one American writer, so it was much better. He made various visits during the 1950s and uh, his final visit in 1960, is that right? It was visiting 53 onwards. Uh, I think he was really split between Cuba and Spain. It's this laid-back attitude, and this is effectively what he loved. He came with his last wife, his fourth wife, Mary. She liked shopping, and also she liked the Palace Bar, Hotel, the pa hotel Palace Bar. Once they stayed at the Hotel Suecia, which was a new bar, a new hotel at the time. And he had a sidekick, A.E. Hotchner. He wrote his biography, is that right? It was not really a biography. It was the last 10, 12 years of his life, okay. really, when, when Hotchner knew him. And he wrote a book called Papa Hemingway. Mm. And while I was in Seattle at the Pike Market, not watching him throwing fish, but downstairs, <laughs> I got a first edition, Papa Hemingway, by A. Hotchner. And when would that have been published? I think 1969, 1970. Yeah. So it focuses on the last 12 years. Some of it's very, very sad. But being very excited, they're in Havana and uh, uh, Key West, and then they're in Madrid. And he tells the story, Mary would go shopping, and we would walk up the Calle Prado and come into the only bar that Hemingway felt comfortable, and that was the Cervetheorella Manor in the Plaza Santana, and this is where we are now. Where we're sitting now, in the window, uh, a marble table, wooden chairs, with a view out onto Plaza Santa Ana, and Hemingway would have been sitting here. Why did he like this place? Just because it was just a very normal bar to have a beer or a coffee? No, 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 no. No, if you look around the paintings, this was the hangout, the meeting place, for the aficionados of the corrida, the bullfights. So agents, aging bullfighters, journalists, and Hemingway was in his element. He didn't want the academic, <laughs> he didn't want the literature circle. He wanted to be around. And if you buy, or if you read, uh, Death in the Afternoon, uh, he wrote that in the uh, 1930s, early 1930s, there's so many Spanish words, and he needed an appendix. And so, in the 50s, on the back, it tells you what these words meant. Yeah. I mean, we're so limited in English about the bullfighting. It's a bullfight, corrida. It's a bull ring, plaza de toros. It's a bullfighter, matador. matador yeah. And so, here, in the Alamana, they were all helping him fill in the, to do his index. I see, interesting. So, th so this was a, a, a bullfighting aficionado's hangout. Yep, I imagine he got a fair few free entradas, a few free tickets to, to bullfights oh, in here uh, as well. E even now, we're sitting in the bay window. At, the, at that corner of the bar, they still are in there, the bullfighting fraternity. I didn't know that this had a history connected with uh, bullfighting aficionados. Just over your shoulder, Stephen, in fact, is a photo of Ernesto, as uh, Spaniards refer to him as, Ernesto Hemingway, and a, a little American flag. Um, and that photo is dated 1959 there. Over to our right, we see the reserved sign on that table. Ah, yeah. 
And the Senora, she must now be about 86, she asked Luthio, the maitre d', who's been my friend for 42 years, asked Senor Stephen to put up a picture. There have been no pictures up here since 1969. She said, ask Stephen to put a picture up in the bay window where I remember the white-haired Hemingway sitting in 1959. So she must have been 30 then. She is the, the owner. And so Luthio asked me to put a picture up. I mean, he wouldn't walk in and say, hey, this is my table. But she remembers him sitting, sitting here. here. So it's a direct connection. Yeah. It's not from a book, it's the verbal. And so this cover, I went to my friend, the printer, and that is from the front cover of A.E. Hotchner's Papa Hemingway. Which, of which you have a, a first edition. Which I have a first edition bought in Pike Market in Seattle. When he was in, in the States, everyone knew him as Papa. But here he simply loved Don Ernesto. Do you think there was sort of part of him, he almost wanted to be Spanish? We've been incredibly flattered to have been called Don Ernesto. The highest honor I've got is Maestro. <laughs> and here in the Alemana, they call me Maestro. And I said to Julio, obviously in Spanish, why do you call me Maestro? He said, you always have books. <laughs> so to be elevated higher than Maestro is Don. Yeah, and, and Don Ernesto, I mean, this is the highest. I said, we must have the D for Don, and it must be Ernesto, and then Hemingway, and then the picture of the front cover of A.E. Hotchner's Papa Hemingway. And then I wanted Savitria Alamana, added a little Latin circa 1959. Nice, good, good mix. So what we've got is the Senora, the owner, remember him sitting here with white hair, with Hotchner, and we had a little Spanish flag and a little American flag. And I knew 10 of my friends would come. I didn't count everyone, but I, I think there were about 40, including the national Spanish national newspapers in Mundo El País and Abite were here. I think the Herald Tribune, I mean, people were here. Lucio and the waiters came with drinks. It was incredibly emotional. About two years later, I was cleaning out some drawers in my apartment, and I came across the flag. I, I was married for the fourth time in Herman, Missouri, Gasconade County, west of St. Louis. Not many people have been married, married there. in Herman, Missouri. They don't say Missouri, they say Missouri. I bought that, and it's the flag of Missouri. And so I took it out, washed it, ironed it because I'm Virgo. And I brought it here and I said, no one is allowed to take this picture down. No one's allowed to touch it. They are very protective because for them it's part of the heritage of the yeah. So Americans, they tell me Americans coming here to take pictures, but they can stand next to it, but they can't touch it. So Lucio, very gingerly, took it down and they tacked it. So I, that is a, a framed picture by me yeah. of A.H. Hotchner's book cover that I got in Seattle. I didn't realize until I got home, we did this on the anniversary, I think it's 4th of July, that he committed suicide. 
Now, how strange that's spooky. Is, <laughs> that's spooky. is that? That is spooky. Watch this. Oh, thank you, taking the, the photo off the wall. Okay, there it is. You say that the flag's a little bit dusty, though. <laughs> well, no one takes it down. And no one's allowed to touch it, but I have a little power here. Yeah, you, you've um, got it. If I put the hand. bloody thing up, <laughs> I should be allowed to take it down again. Yeah. So there is. There he is. How old would he have been there then? So he's got a uh, white beard. Yeah, he was in his mid fifties. In his mid fifties in that photograph. Yeah, yeah. white beard, he's dark, sweatback. He's got a nice suit, uh, mm. that keen eyes. This is the first time it's been there in ages. So there you are, Don Ernesto Hemingway, Savitri Relamana, circa 1959. You're in the bay window. Yeah, I mean, this is an iconic spot for anybody who's interested in Ernest Hemingway. Pictures speak volumes. Yes. So we have a, a picture here of him, uh, his first communion, whatever it is. Then his father, who was a surgeon, committed suicide. Then his mother, who was an opera singer of sorts. And then we see him in 1918 when he went as a Red Cross ambulance driver to Milan. And here he is with an Italian first lieutenant's uniform on, and he was never there. Uh, here he was actually wounded at the front. What he doesn't tell you, he was actually a, a Red Cross driver. He was delivering chocolate and tobacco <laughs> to the soldiers at the front. Somehow that doesn't surprise me. Uh, and then we see him, this is 1925, he's living with his first wife, Hadler, in Paris. And they come down to Pamplona, and he said, we didn't have much money, but that can't be true because he's sitting on the most, expen uh, the most expensive seats. There is a book out with a fabulous title, came out a few years ago, Everybody Behaves Badly. And this is the unique photo taken in Pamplona in 1925 and this was Hemingway's idea for The Sun Also Rises because here is Hemingway and there is Hadley in the middle and she is convinced that the woman next to Hadley, Lady Duff, is having an affair with her husband but she isn't, she was actually having an affair with the chap in the background, uh, Cohen, who was a boxer she had just dumped him and she was now having an affair with Guthrie over here who never stayed to pay for drinks. And Hemingway had this lovely idea. These will be characters. characters and they were, um, but he can't use their names. So Lady Duff became Lady Ashley. And they're the ones who are having drinks at the Palace Hotel bar right at the end before they go to Bottines. But anyway, they all knew who they were. Who they were, yeah. yeah. They recognised themselves. They recognised themselves. Of course. Here's a picture of the Grand Vier in the 1930s. Vintage cars and Vintage cars. Gas, gas lampposts. And, uh, and this is the Hotel Florida. It was open in 1924. And this is where he stayed when he came in... 20th March 1937, Saturday, 6 o'clock in the evening. He stayed here on the fifth floor in a suite because he was being paid as the journalist. And the suite next to his was Martha Gellhorn. 
who he fell madly in love with and then later married. Is that right? Was she his third wife, Martha Gellhorn, who was a, a very well-known, prestigious journalist of the time as well? Yeah. I explain about the build-up to the Spanish Civil War and the international brigades. They came in 1936 to fight fascism. They came from all over the world. This caught Hemingway's attention. Wow, Americans are coming. Well, they came from all over the world, but the Abraham Lincoln, uh, part of the 15th International Brigade, yeah. came over. Uh, and so this would attract Hemingway. Uh, he'd seen a little action in the First World War, farewell to arms. So he comes over as a war correspondent. Also, he's really come to see if there's any chance of him writing a novel, and of course it's one of his classics, For Whom the Belt Holds. It's all based on the international brigades in the Guadarrama Mountains. When he came as a correspondent, who was he writing for in a journalistic capacity then? I know he was with the Toronto Star, at one time. Then he got involved with a documentary called Spanish Earth. In fact, we've got a picture of him here. Uh, this is Tierra España. Yeah. Espanol. Uh, it's a fictitious town that's going to be overrun by the fascists and the men are going to be slaughtered. But the Republic is helping them prior to that for irrigation. So this really sealed his fate. You are persona non grata. You can't you can't come back. Here's a lovely picture of Hemingway. It's the winter, 1938. He's in the Ebro near Zaragoza. So he's got his overcoat on. Mm, nice. uh, it looks like he's wearing a beret there, is it? This photograph, there's Herbert Matthews, who was writing for the New York Times. You look at this picture, there's militia of the Republic, Herbert Matthews and him, and they've all got cigarettes, but all of these have been superimposed. If you look carefully, that's right. They don't look authentic. And no smoke, and they're all the same. So, uh, this was a pro propaganda issue by the Republic holding Madrid. The first casualty of war is truth, and they didn't want to know that they are suffering this siege by the nationalists. And that this shows that there is tobacco, there is wine, there is whiskey. Of course, there wasn't. I'm surprised they didn't superimpose a glass of a glass of wine on his hand there. <laughs> Yeah. When the Spanish Civil War ended, 1st of April 1939, this thing that Franco had, that he captured Madrid, it wasn't true. There was no one to defend it. That was it. So they marched in. Here's a picture of marching down the Gran Via. That's the great boulevard in downtown Madrid. They're all using Italian, or carrying Italian or Nazi Germany weapons. They were all paid for by Nazi Germany. Even the uniforms from Nazi Germany. And so now we have Franco doing the fascist salute and it's because of Nazi Germany and fascist Italy that he won, that the, he war. won the war. And so uh, Hemingway is not allowed back, but not to be deterred. He marries Martha Gellhorn. It should never have happened. He blamed her of being a lousy lover and she blamed him, how would he know he was always snoring in bed? Anyway, uh, he's back in the States and he writes this magnificent story of the Spanish Civil War, of the International Brigades, and that was for whom the bell tolls. And then the Second World War comes, and this is uh, Hemingway again. He's now in Britain, 
as a war correspondent, been war correspondent in Spain, and now he's a war correspondent in Britain, and yet he's in an RAF an RAF uh, uniform with the oxygen mask and the... What happened? I know Hillary Hemingway thinks that grandfather joined the RAF. He didn't. The deal was, because it was such good propaganda for Britain, for the RAF, that we'll have this great writer, Ernest Hemingway, and he agreed not to sue if he got wounded or his family wouldn't sue. And so here he is. And he went on a bombing mission, but it wasn't a bombing mission. They flew over Holland, which had just been liberated. But he went at night, and you can see a big grin on his face. And then, in June 1944, we see him now in Normandy, and he's in, as an officer in the United States uniform. And he got castigated for this, because he was only a correspondent. But we see that he's got two belt buckles. Uh, yeah. And this one is the United States Second World War Army issue. And this one, he said, I took off a dead German. Do you think a kind of vain person in this respect, he liked to be seen as this kind of macho guy who was throwing himself into the midst of these kinds of situations. What kind of person do you think he really was? Depends which which <laughs> year, I suppose. He was very good looking in the 20s. He was very much in love with Hadley. He loved Paris. Then we see him come to Pamplona and the running of the bulls and he wants to get involved in that. He wanted to get involved in the Parisian scene. He leaves Hadley for Pauline, and she's a devout Catholic. Because he was married four times in total in the end. Like Same as you. <laughs> then leaving Pauline for Martha Gellhorn, and Martha Gellhorn actually leaving him. The others, he left them, but she left him. And then he, he attaches to, to Mary, who she could knock the drink back, just like him and she outlived him and we see a picture here uh, Hemingway is allowed back in 1953 to Spain here he is at Pamplona in the bullring front row seats and he's standing up and he's got a wineskin a Buddha and he's leaning back and there is Mary standing next to him smiling at him but look at the Spaniards behind him I mean they adored this American not because he fought against Franco, I mean, he wrote against Franco. Not that. He embraced bullfighting. How many Europeans or Americans embrace such a bloody spectacle yeah. as this? And here they are. He'd written Death in the Afternoon in 1932-33, and he, he does the appendix here in the Alameda. And then, when he comes back in 1959, he has two very close friends, bullfighters, Dominguin and Odonez, and they were brother-in-laws. And in 1959, they do, usually, or nearly always, it's three bullfighters. So there's six bulls, one fights, then another, then another, and they alternate. But this time, in 59, and he was friends with both of them, they decided to take each other on, which is called in Spanish a mano a mano. And they traveled that summer 
around and he followed them, sometimes with Hotchner. The problem is, he was a very close friend to Odonyas and Mrs. Odonyas and they were having drinks in the Palace Hotel and he said to Odonyas, who was a millionaire, the number one bullfighter, tonight I invite for dinner. You, Hotchner, Mary, Mrs. Odonyas, the whole world, I invite you. And Odonyas says, here at the Palace Hotel? No, no. The Ritz? No, 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 no. It's a place you don't know. It's one fork. <laughs> Which is like a one star, a, one, a one star rating. Yeah, one, fork. Yeah, yeah. one star rating. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and where was that? It's just off the Plaza Callao. Uh -huh. The restaurant, all they've done with the restaurant, because it was a, a one fork a Spanish restaurant, they've changed it into Cuban, a little Cuban restaurant. But the back room is adorned with photos of Hemingway. And right in the middle is a picture of Hemingway with the, the bay window behind him. Yeah. And Mrs. Ordonia to his left, Ordonia to his right. Uh, Hotchner, I think, is taking the picture. There was a very, you're too young, a great American actor called Tony Curtis. Oh, yeah, of course, isn't it? And Tony Curtis, in 1972, paid a Spanish sculptor to do a bronze bust of Hemingway and put it in that little room at the back. At the back of that restaurant. And there it is, with a picture of Tony Curtis, and then there's another picture of Hemingway sitting on it. And all uh, photos when he was a war correspondent during this one. Pictures of Mary, pictures of Pauline, pictures of Martha Gellon. They adorn the walls. So it's a shrine. And that's where I took Hilary Hemingway and the Key West Society. Right at the end, it was a Saturday night, and there was live Cuban music, and that's when the tequilas, or whatever you call them. The tequilas. Tequilas were flowing, <laughs> and that's when I said goodbye. And sadly, this is the last photo before he committed suicide. He is 62 years of age, mm. but we can see that the heavy drinking had started to take its toll, or already taken its toll. In uh, A. Hodgson's Papa Hemingway, he said, we went into, we walked up from the hotel palace into the Alamana. It doesn't say we were sitting in the bay window. It was the Senora who remembers him here. And he ordered the red wine of uh, La Mancha and shrimps. So I'm going to, I'm allergic to shellfish, but I'm now going to order a red wine of La Mancha. Make it tea. Dos vino tintos La Mancha. La Mancha. La Mancha. Gracias. For anyone coming to Madrid who's a Hemingway fan, is to just touch on a few of the other locations that people mention. The one that I find quite interesting he used to go down to the Matadero to watch the slaughters and to watch the young Nobi, what they call them, Nobillos, the uh, junior, the, the trainee bullfighters practicing. Well, he mentions it, which was open in the 1920s. It's now a cultural center, but you can still smell. You can still smell the blood. It's, it's a very curious. Uh, one of the slaughterhouse chambers is a bar. <laughs> and it's funny because above the doors it has, it, I think somebody says like cerdos or yeah, vacas or. Vaca, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we've just been poured a glass of the red La Mancha wine, which uh, Hemingway would have enjoyed with shrimps. La Mancha is the south of Madrid, Toledo area, it's the biggest region of wine regions in all of Spain. Yeah. We are sitting in the bay window of Hemingway, 
I have asked them to take the picture and flag down, which is never done, only if I ask them. And we're drinking red wine from the mansion. Uh, you can't get closer than that. I think we could, we could cheers to that. Yeah. Cheers. To Don Ernesto. To Don Ernesto. I like the story about Ernest Hemingway going to Botin, sitting upstairs, and eventually befriending the, uh, the owner at the time. And there was this story about making paella, how he, he, he wanted to be taught how to make paella in Botin. And he tried on numerous occasions and, and, and was terrible at it and said he was better off sticking yeah. to writing. For him, Botin's became too touristy. He, he was there in the 20s. Even in the 50s, it said it's become very really? touristy. And we're talking about Botin, uh, the oldest continuously functioning restaurant in the world near well, Papa Mayo. I disagree with you. <laughs> I don't know where they got that. They went to Chicote. Uh, Chicote is on the Gran Via. And that's a, a cocktail bar. A cocktail bar. He wrote three short stories, The Butterfly and the Elephant. And he describes it, Chicote's, and it's exactly the same today. Chicote was a, a real character. He had learnt his trade, he said, I'm going to open, 1933, I'm going to open the first New York cocktail bar. It was unprecedented. All the actors, the famous Hollywood actors and actresses, Ava Gardner, Frank Sinatra, all were there. And I've got a picture of Hemingway, I think it's about 1958, shaking hands with Chicote. And they're both smiling and they've both got cocktails <laughs> in their hand. It's a lovely picture. And so he writes these three wonderful short stories. Two years ago, I had the University of Israel and they wanted Hemingway's and they wanted cocktails in Chicote's. And I read part of one of the short stories, which incredibly they didn't know. And I had to explain to them what a knocking shot was. A, a brothel, just in case well, anyone's it, wondering. It, it wasn't a brothel. No, it was a, a sort cocktail of bar. Pickup joint. Not quite. <laughs> so what I did with the the, the, stu uh, with the professors that were, and I said, you see on these stools at the bar, this is where the high-class prostitutes are, would hang out. And you would go up and you would talk to them, maybe buy them a cocktail. And then they would go out, and you see at the far end, there is a door with a little shutter. And knock, knock, you would knock in the shutter, and you would go and in. You go. And so it was very discreet. So hence, a knocking shop. Well, that's where the expression comes from. Yeah. One of his short stories are my favorite, is that it's 1937, Madrid is defended by the Republic, it's under siege by the nationalist fascist. And two Republican officers go into Chicotes. Uh, you know, they've been at the front, friends blown up, so they're pretty nervous. And apparently, it was the last barrel of whiskey in town, that, and that would be a great medication. And there was a drunk, and he had a water pistol, and he went up to one of the officers and squirted in his ear. His ear. <laughs> You don't do that to an officer, to anyone who's armed, who's just come from the front. So they hid him and took him out through the, the round door into the Grand Via pavement. 
and they got the whiskey still shaking and they were drinking it and the drunk came back in swaying and squirted it in again and this time the guy pulled out his service revolver and blew him away with three bullets to the head and body and he dropped dead and the police were on it and of course all journalists were there these are Republican officers and Republican police come talk to them and they leave and the police, Republican police let the two Republican officers leave and said any witnesses? <laughs> and one American said I saw it oh they shot where's your papers? Oh. <laughs> actually I didn't see anything, didn't see anything. <laughs> so it's a, it's a great story this is another story that started with Hotchner and it's done its round is that he's in France, 1953, and it's a word that Franco said, you can come back. Are you going to trust the word who's just executed some thousands and thousands of Republicans? Nothing written, you can come back. So he's with Hotchner and two Italians at Hendaye, that is the border with France and Spain. And Spain at Hendaye so, in Catalonia. There are the French gendarmes, whites, shirts, dark blue, saluting, and they go over. And he hasn't been there since 19, 1939, so this is 13-14 years ago. So there's a bit of tension. They get over at Hindai, and there's the Guadalajara, the civil guard, unshaven, sunglasses, machine guns, and big holsters. And there's no Buenos Dias, Bienvenida, España, none of that. They just want the passports. And there's two Italian and two American. One is Hemingway. And the captain of the Civil Guard examines Hemingway. And then he uses two imperatives in Spanish. Fuera de coche, get out the car. Espera aquí, you wait here. Hotchner, or whoever it was, he's got his hands on the wheel so he's not looking as if he's going for a gun. The Italians, of course, are petrified, and Hemingway is standing there, and it's really tense. You must understand this is 14 years, and it was persona non grata, only the word of Franco. And the civil guard captain goes into the civil guard hut, comes back with a book, opens it, says, would you sign here, please? <laughs> Whether that's true or not. Why do you think he was so obsessed with bullfighting? First of all, it, in um, Death in the Afternoon, he is convinced he's not going to like it. And remember, he is the first to write in English about bullfighting. It's not a novel. He's talking about the great bullfighters of the day and also how they cheat. And a lot of them do cheat. But he had this concept of he's going to see death and he's also going to see bravery. The death of a brave bull and is, it, is that bullfighter going to be brave? Remember, when that bull comes out, it's bred to kill. It's bred to smell blood on its horns, preferably human blood. And all the bullfighter has got are ballerina slippers and a cloth. That's when it comes out. So people see this of the, the bull, it's dead. And, because it's not Anglo-Saxon. It's not toss a coin best side wins. <laughs> that bull will die. But how will it die? And this was a fascination for Hemingway. His father will commit suicide. I think one of his 
sisters committed suicide? I think a couple of them. There was a history of suicide in their family, wasn't there? And, and he himself committed and so suicide. Here he is looking at death and he's looking at the pageantry of all this and the passing wine. Where else on this planet could this happen but in Spain? Hemingway said, rings true with me as well. The, the second half of the quote is Madrid is the most Spanish of cities. But he starts the quote saying it's not the kind of place that really grabs you at the beginning. You don't fall in love with it. It makes you work for its affection. In Death in the Afternoon, in his introduction, he said it's quite normal in Madrid to arrange to meet someone at midnight. That's certainly true. <laughs> yeah, it's quite the norm. What infuriates me is I arrived here in April 1975, so I missed him by 15 years. But I still have, I, I can still remember the ambience. In 75, this place, the Alamana, it was less of the bullfighting fraternity and more of international journalists. And one day, Franco's secret police came, and you could tell, ill-fitting suits, standing at the bar, and then going around asking people for their passports. And if it was journalists, you still needed the card with the double stamps, as Hemingway needed with the, with the Republic. Honestly, nothing has ever changed here. From 45 years ago, when I first came, these, this chandelier, Savitri Laman, it really simply means a German beer house, 1904. And so we see it like a, a beer house yeah, yeah. To, to this day. And the photos are from Hemingway's day. There's a, a bullfight photo there where the Picador's horse is not protected as they are today. And so they, uh, so many of them died in the ring. And yet Hemingway argues this. It defends it in one respect. But it's it's strange we're sitting here in his bay window where he did the appendix for death in for death in the afternoon. Which is your favourite Hemingway read? Where you're sitting opposite me in the bay window, I had uh, a private tar, just two, and they said we just want the two of us. I couldn't look at him because. He looked like Hemingway, he looked like the picture that's up here. <laughs> Goatee beard, bucolic, you know, grey hair. I said, you, you look like the picture that's up there. Yeah. Uh, oh, the insistent on the bay window as well. And he said, yeah, I was in the Key West uh, Hemingway lookalike. Apparently each year they, they do a Hemingway lookalike. <laughs> uh, in Sloppy Joe's or something. And I said, what did you win? He said, no, I came third. I said, what the hell did first look like? Yeah. And then he said, the old man on the sea, what did Hemingway change in the second edition? And I said, I don't know, I've never read it. You've never read the old man on the sea? I said, sir, I do Hemingway's Madrid. And as far as I know, there ain't no sea anywhere near <laughs> Madrid. I do Hemingway's Madrid. My favorite book is... Death in the Afternoon is my Bible. Because I, when I came in 75, I, I wanted to understand bullfighting, how cruel it is, and can I do what Hemingway did, then understand what is happening. Spaniards don't bull, they whistle. They're very fickle. They can be waving hankies to cut an ear, and then they can be throwing cushions at you. 
it, it's just a, a if you're not Spanish or you don't understand bullfighting then it is cruel and it's a full stop and I'll never go you need someone explaining to you what's happening you need to understand why Hemingway was in that section section 9 there are 10 sections I was told many years ago that the poor go in section 4, 5, 6 and 7 the critics go in 8 the really wealthy knowledgeables go in 9 the president of the day sits at 10 and all the Japanese and Koreans go in section 1 because they leave after the second fight I see they've had enough they can't see anymore yeah but it's expensive also with Hemingway it's not just that you are in the shade it's all the passes are made in front because the president of the day is watching all the action is happening much closer to you yeah. so yeah and yeah. you're in the sombra because you've got the soli sombra haven't you you've got, the, the cheap seats are in the sun well, and the sombra sol is soli sombra and three is where the bull comes out it also goes back in dead in another gate section eight directly opposite is the only place where the picador is so if you want to hear the bull smacking into heavy canvas i can't mention the name because i was sworn to secrecy but one of america's famous actresses said i want you to take me and my friend and i said where do you want to sit and i said well we've got the money you choose the tickets so we went to nine and it was packed and they saw the pageantry the dress like Habsburgs of the 17th century on horses and but then comes the passes then comes the blood and it was a bad kill and so blood was coming out of the, the snout of the and the actress Hollywood I'm really intrigued to know who it was can you give us a clue no. <laughs> she put a cardigan over her head no a friend did she says, oh my God, we've got to get out of here. I said, we can't right now because now the second bull has come out and no one can move because that would distract and it could kill the bullfighter. So we have to wait. So that was Stephen Drake Jones. What a lively character, really interesting. I could have spent a lot longer sitting in the Cerveceria Alemana chatting to him. If you want to check out his website, which has all information about, uh, well, history of Madrid and Spain, but also information about the tours that he runs. He runs small, customised tours, particularly in Madrid, but I think other parts of Spain as well. Check out his website. It's wellsock.org, which is W-E-L-L-S-O-C.org. I'll put a note to this and other information about uh, uh, Stephen Drake Jones in the show notes of this episode. And just going back to the theme of bullfighting, incidentally, I did make an episode all about bullfighting um, a couple of years ago now. I think it's going back to late 2018. It's episode number 18, and it's called Bullfighting art or blood sport. Now, I've noticed that many people tend to avoid this episode because I'm imagining they don't like bullfighting. And I don't either. Um, I am not a fan of uh, bullfighting. I don't advocate it. I think it's cruel. Pretty horrible thing to experience. However, having said that, 
I think it's kind of, you know, something which is very deeply Spanish and that it gives quite an interesting insight into Spanish culture. And even if you may disagree with bullfighting, I would suggest go and give that episode a listen. Because, well, in the middle of the episode, I did go to a bullfight, my first and my last and lots of people slated me for it and said that I was complicit. And even by going to a corrida, I was supporting bullfighting, blah, blah, blah. OK, well, whatever your opinion is or whatever your view is on that. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Um, I felt that I had to go and see it with my own eyes once in order to be able to talk about it with some reasonable degree of authenticity and to really get a real insight. And let me tell you that going to a bullfight for real is very different to what you see watching it on a TV screen. But in the middle of that episode, you hear me at Las Ventas Bullring here in Madrid, watching a couple of corridas, talking about what's happening, talking about how I'm feeling, uh, describing uh, what's happening, all of that kind of thing. But if you're not interested in that part of the episode, at the beginning of that episode and at the end of that episode, I look in quite some detail at all of the history and origins of bullfighting and man versus beast going right back, you know, thousand years and how it gained momentum and popularity in Spain. And at the end of that episode, I also look at the future of bullfighting, where it's going, how it's perceived today in Spain, and the politics and money which is deeply connected with it as well. It's episode number 18, Bullfighting Art or Blood Sport, and uh, I published that in October 2018. So I'll leave it there for this episode. Thank you for listening. I hope it's been interesting. I've got more guests lined up recording more episodes uh, this week and next as well. So do stay tuned. In the meantime, don't forget to check out When in Spain Instagram account. Uh, the handle is When in Spain One. Go and check that out for photos of Madrid and wider Spain and indeed photos that relate to the various podcast episodes that I publish. I will publish some photos on the Instagram account of Stephen of the Cerveza bar and some other locations around Madrid so that you can uh, kind of visually you can actually see them for real and also don't forget to check out the when in Spain website which is weninspainpodcast.com I publish all of the episodes as I make them on the website which are available there to stream so if you prefer listening to episodes on your desktop or laptop computer instead of on your smartphone device uh, you can do that there and on there I include a bit more detail in the show notes photos and links and other things as well which relate to the uh, given episode so go and head over there it's weninspainpodcast.com and also don't forget if you do enjoy this podcast please please do consider signing up to support it and uh, become a when in spain patron i'm just an independent podcaster here no backing or support from big media operations and uh, advertisers and sponsors it's just me in my free time, doing it for the love of Spain and sharing my love of Spain with other people who also love Spain. So if you do enjoy it, please do consider signing up to become a patron at patreon.com forward slash when in Spain. If you're not in a position to do that, another thing which really, really helps is to leave a review of the podcast on the platform where you listen to it. I know not all platforms offer the opportunity to do that, but certainly if you listen on Apple or any of the other Android platforms, leave a little review, give it a five star, write a sentence or two about your thoughts about it. I've had some new reviews recently, which were fantastic. and It's lovely to get your feedback and also tell other people, share. Word of mouth is a great way to help the podcast get more 
more listeners, more support, more followers. So if you know someone who you think might be interested in Spain, Spanish culture, Spanish travel, insights and observations from right here on the ground where I am in Spain, let people know. Anyway, so I'll stop rambling on. Thank you so much for joining me and I hope you enjoyed this episode and I look forward to speaking to you again very soon. Until then, hasta luego.